Hi, I'm Connie Loises. And this is Alex Gove. And this is Strictly VC Download. Hello, listeners, and welcome back. We have a lot left to do today, so we're just going to dive right into things after I tell all of you that I got to talk today with Kevin Costner, which notably I had no idea was going to happen when it did. I'd agreed to talk with a startup called Here Here because it seems like it has an interesting offering. It basically pushes you content about places as you're driving past them. Say you are heading to Manzanar, the site of a World War II Japanese internment camp in California. It will push like a three to five minute long overview about the site to you with underreported details about what you're about to see. But it also maybe tells you about a town or another site that's interesting and you weren't paying any attention to it on your way there. So it's kind of like a dream app for parents and amateur historians. In any case, I'm talking to the founder. He mentions his co-founder. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Kevin, whatever. I'm sure he's a fine person. And before I know, but Kevin Costner is in the car of this founder who was talking to me from his car, but who was apparently parked outside of Costner's Santa Barbara home as we were talking. And suddenly Kevin Costner is in our Google Hangout with us, making time to chat while some cinnamon rolls are in the oven and his kids are still waking up. It was so random and great. And of course, I couldn't wait to hang out so I could tell our kids that I was just talking with the great Kevin Costner, to which their response was, uh, who? <laughs> They'll learn. They were actually much more excited about this week's Strictly VC download guest, Jake Paul, who is among the most famous YouTube stars in the world and who's also getting more seriously into the world of venture capital. We'll have that interview for you in a few minutes. But first, a look at a couple of the week's news stories. Four EV SPACs have hit the skids. According to an article in today's Wall Street Journal, electric vehicle manufacturers Canoe, Romeo Power, Lordstown Motors, and XL Fleet have declined between 12 to 21 percent because of disappointing results. Although all four of these companies insist that their future remains bright, the numbers tell a different story. XL Fleet predicted that its 2021 revenue would be $75 million, but it recently reported that its first quarter revenues were just $1 million. These companies are finding it harder to actually take that PowerPoint slide and get a product out of it than was envisioned, John Lopez, an analyst at investment bank Vertical Group, told the journal. It certainly doesn't help that traditional automakers like Volkswagen, oops, I meant Volkswagen, are amping up, no pun intended, their efforts in the electric space. And Tesla, the granddaddy of electric vehicle manufacturers, has fallen 25% from its January high of $880. In the past year, at least 22 electric vehicle and battery companies have struck deals to go public through SPACs, raising more than $17 billion from investors, according to data from Barris Guzzel, a principal at BMW I Ventures, a venture capital investor funded by BMW AG. Many of these EV companies have secured multi-billion dollar valuations based on extremely aggressive revenue projections. For example, Faraday Future, a rival group and automaker Fisker, have all estimated that it will take them less than three years to reach $10 billion in revenues, despite the fact that it took Google almost eight years to reach this mark. If the results of companies like Excel Fleet are any indication, look for more carnage in the EV space in the days and weeks to come. 
another story that was minor in the big scheme of things, but interesting, I think, to Strictly VC's core audience, centers on Sendana Capital, a fund of funds, meaning it takes a bunch of money from institutions like the University of Texas, and instead of investing directly in startups, as do venture firms, Sendana mostly invests in the venture firms that invest in the startups. Sendana usually invests in firms that are managing around $100 million, but its founder, Michael Kim, also raised a new fund this week to invest in individuals who are piecing together much smaller funds. Think $15 million or less. Kim calls these nano funds. Why is this interesting? Well, for one thing, it's just a sign of the times. There are now a lot of people managing comparatively small amounts of money. Some are people who've come out of big companies like Facebook and Stripe and have both great connections and enough rich friends to put together a small fund. Some are people who are in places where there isn't so much money slashing around that they can stick their hand out and grab it. Think of the founder in Atlanta or Chicago who made some money from his or her startup and would like to do some investing on a more full-time basis. Going down market is a win-win for Kim, seemingly, because he gets to work with smaller funds where the alpha can be really meaningful. Kim points to the first venture fund that investor Chris Saka ever put together. It was just an $8 million fund, but it returned 250 times that capital because Saka basically bet it all on Twitter. It's a win for these nano fund managers who get access to an institutional investor like Sandana and thus a little added credibility. It could be a win for some of Kim's other fund managers, too. Many are managing too much money right now to write truly small checks, so they sometimes miss out on nascent deals they might like to jump into. Sandana is right now trying to convince many of them to also raise nano funds along their larger funds so they can write these smaller checks. And it's hard to see why they'd say no to the idea. In any case, it's a trend worth watching. Stay tuned. And now our interview with Jake Paul and his business partner, Jeffrey Wu. The two just this week launched a venture outfit that they're calling Anti-Fund, and it's backed by Anchor LPs Mark Andreessen and Chris Dixon of Andreessen Horowitz. They walked us through what they're building from their headquarters in Miami earlier this week. But first, a word from our sponsor. Connie, you know you should be using a VPN. What's holding you back? I don't know. They're just so slow. Yep. But a recent test by AV Test found that NordVPN is up to 3x faster than the competition. I've been using NordVPN for the last month. It's true. And I haven't noticed any dip in performance. What about security? NordVPN doesn't log your data, and it offers double data encryption for increased anonymity. Wow. I know VPNs are great when you're on your computer in a cafe or in an airport, but we're not going anywhere these days. That's true. But say you're researching a story. No matter where you go, you can remain anonymous. Go to nordvpn.com slash strictlyvc or use code strictlyvc to get a two-year plan plus one additional month with a huge discount. If for whatever reason you're not satisfied, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. You're so formal. How about if I just use your subscription? That works too. One NordVPN account will cover six devices at once. Sold. For more information about NordVPN, please visit nordvpn.com slash strictlyvc today. Today, we're very happy to welcome to the show YouTube star and pro boxer Jake Paul and Jeffrey Wu, a serial entrepreneur who sold an early company, GlassMap to Groupon in 2013. So tell us a little bit about how you two came together, how your paths crossed. 
I would say that our initial overlap was just our shared interest in human performance. My other day job, which was running HVMN, Healthy and Modern Nutrition, was basically a human performance company. And we work with special operations, a lot of military, a lot of pro athletes and fighters. And obviously, Jake is a professional athlete. I've been able to get a little bit of a sneak peek in his daily regimen. Jake's working hard. He's performing at a very, very high level. So we hit it off from just a human performance lens in terms of being the best possible versions of ourselves. And then I think as we were just getting to know each other, we realized that we had a lot of overlapping interests and ambition around technology and the future of our culture and society. Jake, I'm curious to hear your thoughts here. Yeah, yeah. We actually met at a Miami tech event and instantly hit it off and had a lot of mutual friends and a lot of mutual interests and shared thoughts. And one of my goals this year was to start an investment fund. And Jeff shared that same exact interest. And we shortly realized like, wow, we're yin and yang, where Jeff's tech background, being a computer scientist and my marketing background and being involved in the Hollywood world and all of that, we were like, wow, we can make a great team. And this is actually super exciting. And Jake, you've also invested in startups and you've raised money yourself for your company, Team Dom. Isn't that correct? Yes. Yeah, so I've been in the tech scene my whole life. I had another investment fund called TGZ Capital that me and my friends did when I was 18, 19 years old. That's like my first taste into investing, understanding the whole entire VC world. And it's been really successful. We've deployed a lot of capital into over 15 startups, having a couple of exits like Hush Beauty, No Foods, Quip, a lot of really successful consumer product brands. And that was me getting my feet wet into the space. And years later now, it's like, okay, time to scale up a bit, time to go even bigger. And I have a lot more knowledge under my belt, a lot more of a network, but always been an angel investor, raised money for my own social media companies. And really this space is more exciting to me than anything. I'm a boxer and I've been a content creator my whole life, but really companies and founders and working with entrepreneurs and learning and getting to be involved with all these amazing companies is really what excites me. That's terrific. What is your outfit named now? And tell me a little bit about who's backing you. You obviously have resources, but it sounds like you've got some outside investors as well. Our investment firm is called Anti-Fund Investment Fund. Full credit to Jake for that. <laughs> and I think we're looking at different names and different concepts. And I think one thing that we want to do is we really want to be like the coolest people on your cap table because Jake's a creator. He's been an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur. I consider myself a founder really as our day jobs. We feel like we understand that early stage journey very viscerally as folks in that generation and venture. I think private equity is evolving really quickly with different vehicles to do crowdfunding equity. You see solo capitalists rising where people are getting outside that fund structure to deploy capital personally. And I think the opportunity here is anti-fund has a very unique lens in terms of actually driving attention. We're in a very unique part of the tech or economic cycle where attention, meme culture, this changing of the guards of how people live their lives is happening now. And I can't really think of a better person and a partner than Jake and really having a pulse on that, right? If we believe that attention is essentially the most rare form of commodity in this day and age where cash is very cheap, right? Like top entrepreneurs can raise capital from any family office, any person that has a fund. I think our perspective is that we can actually help companies grow, especially with one of the, the, the rarest of commodities, which is attention, 
marketing and getting the product that service out there into the world. Is there a discrete pool of capital that has been raised? We have awesome LPs. Mark Andreessen, Chris Dixon are anchoring our fund. And we have great family offices and folks that we've just gotten to know and done business over the years who are really rounding out this initial capital base. And we're already making investments out of the fund and starting to bridge that gap. Even though we're running this through AngelList, we've been busy. Not to overly flatter Jake, but I've heard just through his friends, this guy's been obsessed with boxing and business and he's lost all his friends. And I'm like, <laughs> we got to put the work. Yeah, there's a ton of funds. There's a ton of angel investors. There's tons of people that will want to deploy capital into these startups, but we're coming in and providing a different value add with attention. And at the end of the day, content is king. And what I've done best is understand these social platforms, understand branding and the mm -hmm. consumer first and foremost. And so I'm able to talk to these CEOs of these companies that are young and hungry and give them years and years of advice that I've learned, been doing this since I was 17, mastering content and social media. Uh, and I'm able to give that formula off to these founders and help them because there's a ton of companies out there, right? But if you can't break through, if you can't get that influencer to help you promote your company or link with that celebrity that's going to help you promote your company, then maybe no one ever finds out about what you're doing, even if it's a great idea. And what is the size of the fund? And what do you anticipate to be the average check sizes? Our goal is to be the biggest rolling fund on AngelList. So we're using AngelList as our platform, and that would put us around 10 to $20 million a year to deploy and looking at writing 100K to a million dollar check sizes. You mentioned the family offices. Are these also influencers? I had talked last week with Mr. Beast's management company, and they are right now raising funding, or they did from a lot of creators that they manage. And I just wondered if that's something that's interesting to you. Yeah, I think getting creators involved in the fund will happen. There's been early interest from some of my friends already. A lot of creators are starting to realize like, hey, this is newfound wealth. What do I do with this money? And so I'm trying to lead the way. A lot of YouTubers or Instagram models or whatever, they don't necessarily know what to do with their money. Yeah, 100%. And just to maybe add a little bit more color, it's just been phenomenal in terms of the inbound interest going from what could have been just Jake and Jeff's personal money deploying into startups to stamps of approval from some of the legendary investors in Silicon Valley, like Mark Andreessen, to sitting down with university endowments. So I, I think the differentiation story around realizing that the next generation of companies will be creator first, will be crypto native, will be very digital commerce first, right? And I think just given my background, being in e-commerce for the last six, seven years, Jake's experience being a top five medium creator mogul, I think there's a differentiation that your traditional VC doesn't have. And I don't want to say that we're anti-fun, so we're like, we think the suits are boring. I think just in terms of how we've done business to date, we're like the first call with all these VCs because we realize that all the Sandhill Road guys offer the same value, right? Like a Sequoia Capital is the same thing as Andreessen Horowitz, same thing as a benchmark, give or take. But folks like us, like Jake and I, our experience, our networks, the, the, the way we speak and interact and do business, we offer a very, very unique value add to our founders. And that's what they appreciate with us. What types of companies are you looking for? What metrics are you looking for? What sectors are you looking at? We carve out three broad buckets of what we're excited about. One big area is this new creator economy. We think that individuals will become their own media channels and there's a different way to access information. 
right? I think Jake is literally the archetype innovator in this space. And we would say that we have taste-making ability and instincts around what will be the products that will lead that future. A second area that we're excited about is e-commerce enablement. I think just through this horrific pandemic, retail landscape has changed forever. I think there's that Pandora's box is open. I mean, there's not much to say other than the future has accelerated 10 years and there will be new ways for businesses to do reach their customers. And, and there's going to be new infrastructure companies, just like how Shopify and Stripe are $100 billion plus companies that are forming the plank of how people do business online. We think there are many multi-billion dollar opportunities within each infrastructure layer of e-commerce. And we're excited about that area. And then lastly, I think where Jake and I share just a lot of exciting overlapping interests is cryptocurrencies, consumer products. Those types of innovations might seem crazy or weird to the previous generation. But I think this is our generation where a Bitcoin is literally the same as gold. It's like there's some sort of value that we were born seeing. And NFT is the same as a Picasso. We can help taste make and make that truly the 21st century manifestation of what human culture looks like moving forward. Do you anticipate incentivizing your network of influencers through parceling out parts of your carry or will it be done on a deal by deal basis? How do you incentivize the network of influencers? I think it's deal by deal. And I think with this type of thing, everything wins. Being able to bring other deals to my influencer friends or even in talks with a company right now, I I can't go into full detail, but they need help from a certain type of creator and I plan on bringing them that help. So the company benefits, the creator benefits, and then our fund benefits. So it's really great for everyone. And then there's a lot of room to play. 100%. And also just even beyond just the deal by deal basis, we've been experimenting with, again, just this is getting nerdy into the crypto world, but like DAOs, distributed ways to share upside, share carry, tokenizing our fund, right? Like there's all these like creative ideas in terms of activating our community and our following to share the success with us. I think if you look at what has made cryptocurrencies so popular, it's everyone has an incentive to grow that community. And that is something that we're excited about potentially activating and being very, very early in adopting and implementing into our vehicle here. I wanted to ask, just in terms of the first bucket, the creator economy, because there's so much interest right now in that for obvious reasons that you you stated. One interesting thing I just saw today that Jimmy Donaldson co-founded a company called Juice that's going to extend financing to a lot of creators. He was saying sometimes when you do a deal with a big brand, it takes months and months to get paid and you want to reinvest the proceeds into your next project. That seemed really smart to me. I'm just wondering if you can tell us a little bit about some of the opportunities that you're seeing there, because I'm sure there are tons of ways to help these creators get their businesses up and going. Yeah, this is a model we've seen for about 24 months, 36 months now, where there's these people who realize that influencers have this super engaged audience and they want to build a product or a brand around that specific niche. And so you see guys like Juice or whoever raising money to specifically invest in influencers to help them create these brands because these influencers are the direct marketing channel. They're the producers, they're the content creators, they're the editors, they're the directors. And so there's no middleman. And it's this craze that's happening right now because everyone sees, for example, Diddy making Ciroc super popular. And now all of a sudden he's a billionaire. And tons of different companies like this and startups like this or LeBron investing into Blaze Pizza and it turns into this massive thing. And so everyone with the audience now wants to be able to have a shot 
at creating that next $100 million company. And rightfully so, influencers are really the right people to do it with. And they're relevant. The older generation Hollywood marketing and ads aren't working anymore. And even though celebrities don't own and operate their own channels. So someone might be a massive movie star, but maybe they don't have that marketing platform to build their own product, or maybe they don't even know how to go about that. But like I said, the influencer understands all of those things and is able to directly hit their audience. And so that's where the craze is coming in with building those companies with influencers. Yeah. And then I think just also the marketplaces and the infrastructure was built for a previous generation of business. Jake's right on the dot where these tools, these infrastructures, these financing mechanisms were built for a previous generation. Jake is not just Jake, the influencer, it's Jake, the business, right? And same for all of these folks who are realizing that me as an entrepreneur, I can pay Facebook or Instagram or TikTok my media spend to get my CPM, my CAC, my LTV, right? It's a pretty quantitative science at this point. Or you can literally get the equivalent reach, if not better reach through the right influencers and the right platform. So I think in that sense, the quantitative aspect of what Jake's talking about as someone who's been on the brand side, been on the operator side, I can see this actually show up on the CAC LTV side. It's not just storytelling, Jake talking his own book. Me as a brand operator, I see these actually drive business results in a very different way. And I think moving forward, large multinational conglomerates who do not understand how the next generation consumes media, they'll get eaten. This is a natural innovator's dilemma cycle of innovation. And Gen Z millennials are starting to go into their own earning power and buying power. And it'll be fun to see how that power transition shows up. That's economic creativity. So I think for us, we have a very strong opinion of the types of people we want to back and support and grow with. So it'll be fun. Jake and I obviously want to deliver value to our LPs and our investors, but it's literally fun to just hang out with Jake at 3 a.m. on a Saturday, jamming on business. In a VC fund, the partners typically put in 2% of the capital. How much capital are you guys putting into this venture or how much are you putting in on a deal by deal basis? We're rolling all of our fee structure into the fund and into infrastructure. Basically, all the standard fees are just going back into the fund. We want to align as much incentive with our LPs as possible. Jeffrey, I don't know as much about rolling funds yet as I should. So can you tell me why you chose the structure versus a bigger discrete pool that would be more akin to a traditional VC fund? I think Angelus has been super supportive and helpful in terms of just getting to market really, really quickly. I think one thing that is very interesting is that our rolling fund is structured as a 506c3, which is, allows us to do open solicitation, meaning that we can promote and advertise our fund, which I think is especially relevant given our focus on consumers and next generation creator platforms. So in that sense, we want to be forward leaning on the SEC regulations in terms of where we see equity financing and crowdfunding going. Jake and I have large ambitions here where we could imagine having within our same management company, having more dedicated fixed time horizons, more classic venture funds or venture funds targeted at specific asset classes, which we also have just noodling in the background. But I think in terms of just the approach in terms of activating our audience, having some of our followings and friends partake in our upside and I think just the benefit of having open solicitation and, and going to market pretty quickly. I think these are all 
one, advantageous for us in our vision of how we want to build a fund. But two, we should be democratizing access of startups to more and more people. It is weird that people can buy GameStop or cryptocurrencies, but they can't invest in venture funds or startups. There's a democratization or an access angle that I think Jake and I care about. Everyone should have access to all types of asset classes. Yeah. And that's what I'm really excited about too. I have a loyal following. I I have followers for different reasons, some boxing, some business, but the business people, they want to be involved in what I'm doing. And so if they're involved in our fund, then that's more people rooting for us and our portfolio companies to win. And so we almost create this army that is pushing all of these companies forward and they can be involved. And it's just exciting for everyone. As a young investor, I want to be the next Ashton Kutcher. But also, if I would have saw that like on AngelList that I could have put into Ashton Kutcher's rolling fund, boom, I would have done that. So this gives young hustlers an opportunity to win. Jake, your brother helped break open the whole nifty thing when he created those Pokemon-like cards of himself and sold them. I'm just wondering what your nifty strategy is. We're working on a bunch of different stuff, investing in two different NFT startups, talking to some really, really interesting companies. I am working on a launch for the night of my fight, April 17th with Origin who recently did Blau's Drop. I'm super bullish on everything NFT. It's the future. And as a millennial, we grew up with NFTs. We're NFT native. The skins we're purchasing in these video games or the things we're purchasing on these apps, those are all NFTs. Now it's a buzzword and you can't go three hours without hearing those three letters. But that's how it all started. And I believe we're heading in a ready player one direction 50 years from now. There's Neuralink or who knows, we're going to have contacts that have our phones inside of them. I believe that's where we're heading. And so digital art, the metaverse, all that's like exciting. Yeah. You're going to come visit our planet in the metaverse next time we have this conversation. (laughs) That's so crazy. I also want to know, Jake, what you think of Clubhouse. I know you've been making appearances there more recently. As somebody who's sophisticated about these social media platforms, what do you think? Is it have staying power? Is it interesting to you? Yeah, I think Clubhouse is great. I think what we've seen is super strong communities coming together and being able to network and talk to people who you normally would have never even thought you would talk to. And for that reason, it's super powerful. It has staying power. And I think we're just scratching the surface of what the platform can and will become. But I'm sitting there in a room one day and I'm with MC Hammer and Diplo and Snoop Dogg in the game. And there's tech investors and Whale Shark and like, what's going on? This is the craziest room to be in. And I think that's what makes it really cool. I also wanted to ask about YouTube versus the other platforms. Another thing, this interview that I just read with Donaldson, he was saying YouTube is still far and away the place where creators need to be because it's really the only platform that's still really paying And I just wondered if that's something that you agree with. Yeah, it's a great question. And it changes by the day. That's what I'll say first and foremost. We live in a world where one day something is cool and the next day it's not. And so you you have to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. YouTube is obviously amazing. I think it's the best place to build a loyal fan base that will follow you anywhere you go. But we are seeing the most amount of engagement, the most amount of users and daily active users on TikTok now 
and they have a new monetization system for creators that is working really, really well. And creators are making a ton of money off of that. So they're closing the gap on YouTube really being like the most premier spot for creators. TikTok is definitely one of the most exciting places to be right now. And the views are through the roof. I have 20 million subscribers on YouTube and I'm getting two, three million views. On TikTok, I have 12 million followers, but I'll get five, 10, 15 million views sometimes. But at the end of the day, you see the, the biggest brands and the biggest influencers still coming from the YouTube platform. I also just wanted to ask quickly, something that's a big story out here in Silicon Valley this week is Dispo, this photo sharing app. It's VCs just parted ways with the company, some of the VCs, because of this colleague of Dave Dobrik. But it does beg the question about VCs and influencers and dealing with people that they're not necessarily accustomed to dealing with or people whose paths have been lived online. You have a long history online. You grew up online. I just wonder if you ever worry that something in your past is going to come back and be problematic for you as a business person, an investor. Yeah, I think because I've lived online, everyone's seen everything already. So everything's already all out there. But yeah, your life is put on display when you choose to be a celebrity and specifically a vlogger. And I think VCs and and people in the business world are understanding more and more how to work with celebrities. And there are risks, of course. But at, at the end of the day, if someone's a good person and you, you have a relationship established with them, then that's really what matters. And maybe just to add color, just from my vantage point, Jake is on top of his game. Oftentimes, he's more on time than I am on meeting with entrepreneurs, meeting with founders, meeting with business folks. It's easy to bucket YouTubers in one specific bucket. But I think just in terms of everything I've observed, I'm voting with my feet in terms of my reputation, our joint reputation, our joint business. And I think Jake is the real deal in terms of just the maturation and the instincts in terms of commercialization uh, of, of taste, Jake is very savvy. One should be careful underestimating that given the creator image that Jake promotes on the YouTube channel. Well, I have to say, Jake, I saw your interview with Brandon Marshall and those other NFL players talking about boxing. And I really enjoyed it. And I feel like you really won them over. It was so obvious to them and to me as the observer, how serious you are about boxing. And it's not just some stunt that you're pulling. So I really enjoyed that. I, I did want to ask you a little bit about your boxing and how the, how the trainings went. So this fight's coming up in a few weeks. You'd said you think you're going to punch this guy out in like a round or so. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're, we're 24 days away right now. I don't know when this comes out, but yeah, it's super exciting. And I'm in the best shape of my life. Just had my best sparring session yesterday, ran I think like 25 sprints this morning. I'm crushing it. And Jeff actually has been helping me on the human performance side of things. I'm just super excited to go out there and put on a show because a lot of people just don't believe in me. And they think that it's some joke. Dana White is betting a million dollars on my opponent. He thinks I'm going to lose. And so all of this motivates me. And I just love the sport of boxing. It's something I'm truly passionate about. So yeah, April 17th, everyone needs to tune in live on Triller. Are you an investor in Triller? Yes, I am. Early investor in the Triller. I've always believed in the team over there. And the last pay-per-view event we did, it ended up being the eighth highest pay-per-view event ever with 1.8 million pay-per-view purchases. We're looking to beat that record on this one. We have Justin Bieber performing, Doja Cat, Snoop Dogg, 
major laser. So it's just going to be a whole night of entertainment with obviously my fight being at the pinnacle of that. And guys, before I let you go, Jeff, you'd mentioned that you have made some investments. Is there anything else you can tell us about those other investments? We work with our entrepreneurs on that. So we don't want to scoop their news, but maybe to just touch upon overall strategy. What's different from a typical angel fund is that we like to size up our investments, check size, right? Typically with an angelist rolling fund or an angel investor, they like to do a spray and pray strategy. Jake and I were self-aware that one, we have limited bandwidth to really push and grow and mentor and foster the portfolio companies and founders and CEOs that we work with. So we'd rather actually write bigger check sizes into the companies that we work with. So in that sense, we're not trying to make a ton of investments, but when we do, we want to come in with super high conviction. And it'll be the two of you as the GPs. And do you have anyone else supporting you at this point? We're the two GPs, but I think Jake and I are already talking about expanding the team. I think just in terms of the LP interest, especially if you have institutional university endowments coming in, I think we realize that we'll need a strong team and infrastructure around us. So that's something on the roadmap. We want to get our hands dirty though first and really be in the weeds of this fund and build out the team from there. But at the end of the day, yeah, we're the workhorses here. And the the conversations then are Jeffrey sees a company, runs it past you, you say yes, vice versa. Pretty easy decision-making process, I assume. Yeah. I think one thing that we really aligned on was that we're here to build something as franchise value for the long term. We're not here to play tourists into startups. I mean, just given Jake's involvement with the tech industry since he was a teenager, my involvement in the tech industry since I graduated Stanford. This is an ecosystem, a tribe that we've been a part of, and we'd love to see this and contribute and, and hopefully at some point be leaders in this industry. Great. Well, I'm sure there's going to be tons of interest, guys. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today, and I would love to stay in touch as your firm evolves. Thank you, Connie. Thank you, Alex. Thank you for having us. Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. A quick programming note. We are not going to be broadcasting next week. Our interns are on spring break, and we will be busy keeping them out of trouble. We will see you back here in two weeks. Have a great Easter if you celebrate Easter.